0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. So we have been using the Jesus Storybook Bible for the last few Sundays, and the reason that we're doing that is we're attempting to discover who Jesus is, to behold Jesus through the eyes of a child. And so we thought, let's use a children's Bible for a few Sundays. And today we're going to look at a teaching Jesus gave about our relationship with worry. And while Jesus delivers this teaching and gives this sermon to to first century Galileans, his message about our relationship with worry is not lost on any of us, right? Because even with all of our technological advances in our modern-day solutions, we still have a significant relationship with worry. So we have the first century Galileans who had their own relationship with worry. In our modern time, we have a relationship with worry as well. And I would argue even maybe it's more intense (laughs) because our pace of life in the way we live lends itself to stress and anxiety and worry. But I want to give a few basic qualifiers before we look at this teaching of Jesus. And and these come from John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the first qualifier I I need to to share with you is this one, not all worry is bad. Not all worry is bad. Um, Right-sized worry can be helpful. right? For instance, if the roads are slick, we can be cautious, right? A little worried. I don't want to wreck my car, so I'm going to ca- be cautious and slow down. Or if, if our bank account gets dangerously low, we, we start to worry a little bit and say maybe I should save more money so I can pay my bills. And so, so worry when it's right size, when it's functioning properly, can can be a healthy internal warning system or alarm system. I, I have this fire alarm in my house, and it's it's in the wrong place in my house. So I have a fireplace and sometimes I like to start a fire just for the ambiance and for the warmth and, and occasionally it doesn't get draft good and the house will fill with smoke and the thing does not go off. The alarm does not go off. But when we cook something in our oven and there's no smoke, the alarm just beeps like crazy. My dog bandit tucks his tail between his legs and runs downstairs. We grab the pillows and we start waving it and if that doesn't work, we grab the chair over and we pull out the battery, right? Has anybody ever done that before? And our fire alarm is just in the wrong place and I'm too lazy to move it, so right now, I'm th- I actually thinking I need to replace it, put the battery back in, because <laughs> it doesn't have a battery in it. Um, and worry is like a fire alarm. That, that when it's in the right place and it's functioning properly, it can be a really helpful tool. But when it's not in the right place, right, when it's going off all the time, it's nerve-wracking. And that's how worry functions, but not all worry is bad. Second qualifier I wanna share before we look at this teaching of Jesus is that worry and anxiety aren't sins, they're emotions. Okay, they're not sins, they're emotions. Now, worry and anxiety can lead us to sinful behavior. Right, but they're emotions, they're not sins. If you worry, it doesn't mean you're spiritually underdeveloped. It means you're human, okay? Number three, the third qualifier I want to give is some of our worries and anxieties have deep, deep root systems, right? And extracting them from our minds and hearts and bodies can, can be hard work. It can be like pulling up tree stumps from the ground that have deep, deep roots. You need a, a tractor or two to yank them up. And it takes a lot of time. Um, w- when I was a kid, my uncle used to grab a blanket and throw it over my head and bear hug me. And he was being playful. He was trying to have fun. But it, t- it was terrifying to me, <laughs> right, because I felt suffocated. I felt trapped and, and developed some claustrophobia as a kid. And I'm still... Working at uprooting those worries. A couple weeks ago, Ian and I, Ian Bailey and I, went to Florida to the Ecclesia National Conference, which is the church network that we belong to. And we're on the airplane and we're on it for a little longer than normal because they had to de ice the plane and, you know, wait for things. And I was in a middle seat and it started getting warm and stuffy on the plane and all of that started to come up, right? It was a little bit of a struggle because I'm remembering. At the, as that kid with the blanket, trapped, hot, stuffy. See, some of our anxieties and worries have deep root systems, and it takes a while to extract those, and I am still working on that today. Another qualifier I want to give is anxiety can also be caused by chemical imbalances in our bodies, right? That they're, they're, unfortunately, there's an unhealthy stigma that exists around um, Christians, about taking medication for anxiety, but I need to let you know that God is not anti-medicine. He's not. He's he's pro-health and wellness, and and taking medication doesn't make you any less of a Christian. Which, Which leads me to the last qualifier, and it's this. Jesus' followers are not exempt from worry and anxiety. We read in the Gospels about Jesus himself experiencing this he's in the garden of gethsemane he's it's on the night of his betrayal he's about to go to the cross and we're told that he's sweating drops of blood and what we know of course through, through through science and biology is that his heart is pumping so fast that his capillaries burst and he's sweating blood and so following jesus doesn't exempt us from worry, Jesus was worried about the cross and worried about being separated from his father and taking on the sin of the world. That's, that, that was so heavy to him. And I'll, I'll tell you this, that, that anxiety and worry is something we all battle, whether we're following Jesus or not. And there's a reason that Philippians, the book of Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 4 through 8 is one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. Do you know what Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7 says? Let me read it for you. It says this, and it will probably sound familiar to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the the etymology of these two words, anxious and worry, they have the idea of being strangled and choked because that's what it feels like, right, when you experience it. It feels like you're being choked and and strangled. So what if Jesus, in the book of Philippians, had something to say to us about preventing worry from suffocating us? Wouldn't you want to know what that is? I do, so I'm going to talk about it. Maybe you do, and you can listen. <laughs> and what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read Jesus' teaching on worry from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a paraphrase of Matthew chapter 6. And then we're going to look at Philippians 4, which provides us with a spiritual prescri- prescription for worry. So I'm going to start by reading the paraphrase of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Here's what it says. Wherever Jesus went, lots of people went too. They loved being near him. Old people, young people, all kinds of people came to see Jesus. Sick people, well people, happy people, sad people, and worried people. Lots of them. (laughs) Worrying about lots of things. What if we don't have enough food or clothes? Or suppose we run out of money? What if there isn't enough and everything goes wrong and we won't be all right? What then? When Jesus saw the people, his heart was filled with love for them. They were like a little flock of sheep that didn't have a shepherd to take care of them. So Jesus sat them all down and he talked to them. The people sat quietly on the grassy mountainside and listened From where they sat, they could see the blue lake glittering below them and little fishing boats coming in from a night's catch. The spring air was fresh and clear. See those birds over there, Jesus said? Everyone looked. Little sparrows were pecking at seeds along the stony path. Where do they get their food? Perhaps they have pantries all stocked up, cabinets full of food. Everyone laughed. Who's ever seen a bird with a bag of groceries? No, Jesus said, they don't need to worry about that because God knows what they need and he feeds them. And what about those wild flowers? Everyone looked. All around them, flowers were growing. Anemones, is that the right way to say that? Anemones? That, that's pretty hard for a kid's Bible. Too. I, I'm <laughs> Anemones, daisies, pure white lilies, Where do they get their lovely clothes? Do they make them? Or do they go to work every day so they can buy them? Do they have closets full of clothes? Everyone laughed again. Who's ever seen a flower putting on a dress? No, Jesus said, they don't need to worry about that because God clothes them in royal robes of splendor. Not even a king is that well-dressed. They had never met a king. But as they gazed out over the lake, glittering and sparkling below them, The hillsides dressed in reds, purples, and golds. They felt a great burden lift from their hearts. They could not imagine anything more beautiful. Little flock, Jesus said, you are more important than the birds, more important than flowers. The birds and the flowers don't sit and worry about things, and God doesn't want his children to worry either. God loves to look after the birds and the flowers, and he loves to look after you too. So, Jesus starts out here in Matthew chapter 6. Of course, we just read the paraphrased version of that, saying that when you begin to worry, look at nature. Doesn't that sound like something Jesus would say? He goes, Look at the birds. Consider the birds because they're able to find what they need without worrying. God provides for them. And notice how at ease they are. They're not lazy, but they're busy, they're at peace. And they just assume that provisions will be made. And then he says, consider the flowers. Look at how effortlessly they exhibit their beauty. And he says, even royalty can't match their splendor. In Matthew 6, Jesus says it this way. He says, even King Solomon in all his glory can't compare to these flowers. And so Jesus uses the birds and the flowers to teach them about God's benevolence. And the Jesus storybook Bible says it this way, God loves to look after the birds and flowers. God loves to look after you too. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 records Jesus saying it this way. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 31, So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Verse 34, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, I want to pause here just for a minute because I want to address a major tension that this teaching can cause. Because at first glance, when we read these words from Jesus, they can seem oversimplified and even insensitive, right? What about all the people who are starving in the world? What about them? It seems awfully complacent to say, hey, just trust God and he'll provide for you. I want to let you know that Jesus here isn't trying to answer every economic problem with this one teaching. Okay? The specific teaching here that Jesus is giving assumes that his audience had their basic needs and provisions met. Uh, wh- while his Galilean audience for sure w- was, was poor, they weren't starving or unhoused. Right? Jesus w- would, would say this differently, the same teaching, the same concept, the same principle. He would say it differently if, if his audience was. But what he's doing here in this, in this teaching is Jesus is urging these disciples to trust God when things get tight. To, to trust God when things are lean. And he wants them to focus more on God's kingdom than their own provisions. And in verse 33, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So Jesus isn't saying that, that money and provisions aren't important, they matter. But he's saying, set your mind... In heart on God and his kingdom and his righteousness first verse 34 of Matthew 6 he says so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries today's trouble is enough for today how many can say oh yeah that's 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 a true word (laughs) that's something we know in our heads right Read that and be like, oh yes, that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. We understand how how that would be helpful. To not worry about tomorrow, today has enough things to worry about. That's very helpful, Jesus. But how do we practically work that out? How do we get to the place where we don't worry about tomorrow? Well, it, it starts by putting the fire alarm in the right place. Jesus says, here's what you gotta do Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, by by seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all else, what we do is we're putting the fire alarm in the right spot. See, Jesus is, is, is teaching here that when our priorities are in the right place, worry begins to function properly. When our priorities are in the right place, when our fire alarm is in the right spot, when we seek God first, that spot, and his kingdom, and live righteously, when when that's the number one priority, worry becomes right-sized. It stops beeping all the time because our primary focus is not on all the things we worry about, but it's on God and his kingdom and his righteousness. So all the noise starts to diminish. Worry becomes right-sized. The fire alarm starts to work like it's supposed to. Now, Philippians 4 also speaks to what Jesus is teaching on here. In Philippians chapter 4, we find four verses with four admonishments that can help us right-size our worry. And I want to use an acronym from Max Lucado's book, Anxious for Nothing. And I I don't use acronyms a lot, but this one I find really helpful. And it's the acronym CALM. And there's four verses in Philippians chapter 4 that gives four admonishments to help us right-size our worry, um, to get the fire alarm functioning properly in the right space. And the first one is celebrate God's goodness. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Philippians 4.4. 4. And, and the Apostle Paul here, of course, is writing to the church at Philippi. And his prescription for worry starts with finding joy in the Lord. Now, we have to understand that when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, he was under house arrest. He was a prisoner. And so the rejoicing he's talking about here is not circumstantial. It's not based on, he, he's, he's under house arrest. And he's telling people, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. So it's not circumstantial, it's deeper than that. It, it's a rooted confidence that, that God is good. And, and that can feel really counterintuitive to us. Right, because when, when there's nothing to be joyful about, <laughs> it feels counterintuitive to find joy in the Lord and be joyful. But that's when we also need it the most. Right. Last week when I got home from my trip uh, to go to the Ecclesia conference, I got home at like 3.30 in the morning on Saturday and woke up early with my son Josh because the week I was gone, he had a double ear infection and strep throat. And, and my son Josh, he's 18, but he, he, cognitively he, he has some delay, and so he often doesn't tell us when he's sick until it's way too late. So it's always really bad when we find out. He's a really tough kid. And so his healing process sometimes takes a little bit longer, right? So I got home Saturday thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like help out more so today because Michelle was with him while he was sick and taking to the doctors and getting the antibiotics. And, and so in the morning, I was out in the living room, got him all set up, and, and I heard um, him in, a, in the playroom playing. His, his voice is sore. It's all swollen. He's raspy. But he's got his little Power Ranger action figures out and he's doing all the voices. He, he watches Power Rangers and he memorizes some of the lines. Mm. <laughs> right? And so he's using all the lines from Power Rangers and acting it out with all the... And, and he's sick as a dog, <laughs> too. So I walk down the hallway and I just peek in. He doesn't like it when you watch his pretend play. He gets, he gets, a, he gets a little uh, uh, nervous about that. So I had to kind of sneak up. And I watch him in his room and he's so sick but he's got his little action figures out and he's playing and he's doing all the Power Ranger lines and he's changing his voices and I could see so much joy on him. And and it was a reminder to me that, that when we celebrate God's goodness, when we find the joy of the Lord, even in spite of all of our discomfort and pain and difficulty, that we're reminding ourselves that that God is good, to celebrate the good things and the gifts that God's given us. And one of the simplest ways to celebrate God's goodness is by developing a knack for play. And kids are masters at this. If you watch a kid, they can play with anything, a pot and a pan, a stick. I don't even know why we buy them toys. They play with everything. (laughs) It comes natural to them. But as adults, Making time for play for us can feel wasteful and irresponsible, right? Because there's so many things to do. This week, I'd scheduled two times for play for myself. Um, cross-country skiing on Monday and basketball at lunch on Thursday. And, and I have to tell you that when those times came to engage in play, I didn't really want to do them. <laughs> it was a lot of effort to get And I had to stop doing something and say no to something in order to do And there's just so much to do. Right. So both times, those, when those two times came, my Monday and my Thursday af- at lunchtime, I thought to myself, maybe I shouldn't play today <laughs> because I, I've got all this stuff I've got to do. But I'll tell you this, every time I've pushed through that and decided to engage in play, I've never regretted it because here's what it does for me. It reminds me that life is good, that God is good, that I can celebrate his goodness, his beauty, his, his love, his, his gifts, his blessings. And I want to ask you this question. When was the last time that you celebrated God's goodness through play? And maybe this week you can find an opportunity to do that, even if it's something small. So celebrate God's goodness. That's a, the first prescription that, that the Apostle Paul gives us to right-size our worry. The second and third are to ask God for help and leave your concerns with Him. To ask God for help and leave your concerns with Him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. The our next verses. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace is will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, here's what this verse is telling us. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us when it comes to right-sizing our worry, is that when we pray, we're taking action against worry. When we pray, we're taking action against worry. And we're told in in this passage that there's a peace that comes when we ask God for help. When we leave our cares and concerns in God's hands, there's a peace that comes that's illogical. It doesn't make sense. It passes all understanding. We, we sang about it in one of our songs today. This peace of God, it stands guard over our hearts and our minds. So when we pray, when we ask God for help, when we leave our worries and concerns in his hands, we're taking action against worry. Remember Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? Again, it's the night of his betrayal. He's about to go to the cross and he prays to his father in heaven. What is he doing? He's asking God for help and he's leaving it in his hands. He says, God, this is what I want, but not my will, yours be done. And he places it in his hands, his father's hands. The last part of the prescription that the apostle Paul gives for for worry and making our worry right size is meditating on good things. In verse 8 of Philippians 4, says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, what he's addressing is this, that if, if, if we're going to right-size our worry it's going to require us to fix our thoughts on the right things. Right, like there are times when we get a worrisome thought and when we take it to God in prayer and ask for his help, when we leave it with him, we also have to meditate on the right things, on the good things. So, so let me give you a case in point. If, if, if a false narrative comes into your mind, It can be helpful to say, hey God, this worrisome thought just wormed its way into my mind and heart. Can you help me be like an air traffic controller and reroute that thought (laughs) and land one that's true, land one that's honorable, land one that's right, that's pure, that's just, that's lovely, that's excellent. John Mark Comer says this about anxiety, that anxiety is imagining the future without Jesus in it. And what's he talking about there when he uses the word imagining the future? He's saying, hey, when we think about the wrong things, when we think and imagine a future without Jesus in it, then it's going to lead us to being anxious and worrying. And so Philippians chapter four, the apostle Paul tells us, hey, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely. And so this verse in Philippians 4 exhorts us to stop imagining the future without Jesus in it. To meditate and fix our thoughts on, on true narratives and not false ones that, that want to find root in, in our hearts and minds. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.